So today we're actually closing up our series, this extraordinary series. Unfortunately, this is the last time we get to watch that video all together. Aww. Um, I know, I'm, a, I'm more sad than you are apparently, but um, I get to wrap it up today, which is going to be really awesome. Uh, in the first week, just to give you guys a quick recap for those of you that haven't been here, and also so you know, we have a podcast online, so if you go to centralchurch.cc slash podcast, you can listen to all of our sermons on there. We post it the Tuesday after, so every Sunday, you know, if you listen to it on Tuesday, you can be caught up, but for those of y'all that haven't, or if you, if you haven't been here or whatever, I just want to give you guys a quick recap to let you kind of know where we're headed uh, today. So. So uh, the first week we talked about Rahab, and uh, I opened up the series by talking about worthiness and willingness, and we talked about worthiness, and we said that no matter how you feel, no matter if you feel equipped, no matter if you feel like you're the worst, no matter if you feel like nobody likes you, no matter if you feel like there's no way that God could use you, we said that God calls you worthy. And so we said, no matter who you are, no matter what, you into, what you're into, no matter where you've been, none of that matters because God has called you to do extraordinary things and he has said that you are worthy of it. And so then we got to the point where we talked about willingness and we talked about willingness and we said that, that God doesn't pick people because of how awesome they are at certain things and God doesn't pick people because of how powerful they are or, or even necessarily how devoted they are or even necessarily how holy they are. We said that God picks people because they're willing. And we said that his strength is made perfect in our weakness or made complete in our weakness. And so we talked about, are you willing do you realize your need for God and are you willing to lay down your ideas of the way that you're gonna live your life and the way that you're gonna handle your finances and the way that you're gonna run your family and the way that you're gonna choose your weekends and the way that, or are you gonna lay it down and, and allow God to take it and make it extraordinary because he is using his power through you. And then the second week, Sam talked about Esther. And if you guys missed it, it's on the podcast it was an incredible sermon. Uh, we talked about the story of Esther and we related it to all of the recent tragedies that we've seen in the United States, especially, but also in our world. And we talked about all of the, all of the tension and especially the racial tension that we've seen here in America recently. And we talked about how important it is for us as Christians to speak up and to say something. We talked about Esther and we said, uh, Sam gave us three different qualities that Esther possessed that God used to do incredible things through her. And we talked about relating that to our lives. And so the first one he talked about was faith. And he essentially said our faith should compel us, it should drive us to a response. He said what breaks the heart of God should always break ours too. And so our faith should drive us to a response. He said that the second one was wisdom. Wisdom kind of crafts our response. You know, you can go off on someone on Facebook, but that doesn't necessarily do anything. And so we talked about having wisdom in the way that we respond and knowing the way that God wants to use us to respond to whatever he's called us to do. And then we talked lastly about having courage and about speaking up even when the stakes are high, about speaking up even when maybe some family members might be upset with you, speaking up maybe when some coworkers might be upset with you, speaking up when you know that there's something you need to say, you know that there's something that you need to do and that God's called you to do it, we talked about how Esther had courage to go in front of the king and we asked each other how we can have courage in these situations and how we can speak up when we see injustice. We said silence is not an option 
And so today, we're jumping into the story of Ruth. This is a very, it's not quite as well known of a story in the Bible. Um, to be honest with you, I had to do my own study and, and dig into quite a few different aspects of the story as I was preparing for this talk, just because it's, it's got a lot going on. And so I'm hoping that we can kind of unpack it today. Um, it's this little book that comes after the book of Judges in the Old Testament. So you've got Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And it's really easy to just totally miss it. And even when you read it, it's easy to miss it because there's so many like names and places and customs. And like you, we don't understand the context at all. But as you dig into it, just like anything else with the Bible, it reveals so many good things. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about it today. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll dig into it. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. God, you're so good and we know that you're already here. God, I thank you that we don't have to ask you to show up, that you are here. And God, I thank you that you have made us aware of you this morning. Lord, I pray that as I, as I speak your word this morning. Lord, I pray that as we dig in and as we study this today, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would just light it up for us. God, we understand that, that we can't understand these things unless you come to us and you show us what you're trying to say. And so God, I pray that none of my words would come out today, but that they would be yours. Lord, I pray that you would just empty me and just fill me with you. Lord, that as we, as we listen to this, Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Cool. So um, Ruth is, like I said, it's, it's a little bit tough to handle. When you're reading through it, there's a lot of names, a lot of places. So we will have a little bit of scripture on the screen, but today there's going to be a little bit less scripture on the screen just because of that. I'm not going to drag you guys through five chapters of names and places and you know, harvests, and like, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna do that to you guys. I hope you're okay with that. Um, so what we're gonna do is I'm just gonna give you guys a quick breakdown of this story, just so that we're all on the same page and we all know what happens, okay? And so where this story starts is it opens up with this couple. Uh, the man's name is Elimelech. Elimelech, yeah, great. Um, I might name my firstborn that, actually. What did I say it was last week? I don't, I don't remember, but... Um, it starts with Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, okay? Elimelech and Naomi. I told my wife I'd want, I really did want to name a girl Naomi, and my wife hates that name, so it's like totally off the table. Um, <laughs> so Elimelech and Naomi are this couple, and they, they live in this, in this place called Judah, which is uh, essentially Israel at the time. Um, they live in this place called Judah, and what ends up happening in Judah is there's this crazy famine, and there's no water, and there's no food, and, and everybody's struggling. And so what Elimelech and Naomi decide that they're going to do is they're going to move to this place called Moab. Okay, so they pick up, and they pack up, and they move, and they go to Moab. And they have two sons. These two sons, when they move to Moab, marry Moabite women. That's what they're called, Moabite. It's like uh, I grew up in Florida, and so people always used to ask me, what did they call you, Florida? No, it's Floridians. Like, it's, it's a little different, but they're Moabites, okay? And so their two sons, Elimelech and Naomi's sons, marry these two Moabite women. I'm not going to name the sons because, honestly, it's not super important, and there's already a lot of names going on here, so I'm giving you a break. Um, so Elimelech and Naomi's two sons marry these two Moabite women. The first one is named Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, O-R-P-R-A-H. I don't know. It's, it looks like Oprah when you read it, but it's Orpah. Um, he marries this, this woman named o or Oprah. We'll just go with Oprah. It's easier. Um, <laughs> is that cool? 
We'll go with Oprah. All right, so he marries this woman named Oprah, and then uh, the other son marries a woman named Ruth. Now, Ruth is pretty easy, right? We'll go with that, okay? So Elimelech and Naomi move from Judah to Moab. Are you guys following me? And their two sons marry Moabite women. We've got Oprah and Ruth, right? Easy enough, cool. So here's the deal. When they moved to Moab, they moved to a pagan country. They moved out of a country that worships Yahweh God or the one true God that we see throughout the entire Old Testament. They move out of a country that worships this God and into a country that worships multiple gods. There was a main God, but there were multiple gods that they worshiped. It was a pagan society that they moved into. So the big deal about this is these two sons of Elimelech and Naomi married two women that didn't worship Yahweh God. Okay, are you guys following me? We're, we're already, we're there, okay. So um, what ends up happening at this point is Elimelech dies. It's really tragic when you read Ruth 1 and you start in Ruth. You'll see as you read through it. Uh, it basically starts out and says, Elimelech and Naomi moved here and their two sons married this person and this person and then Elimelech died. That's how it opens. <laughs> and you're like, oh, cool, I'm in for a really good story. This is Man, yeah, it really warms the soul, you know? That's what I was looking for when I read the Bible. Um, But Elimelech dies, and then Elimelech's two sons die. Great start to the story, right? (laughs) We're headed somewhere. Um, So Elimelech dies, and Elimelech's two sons die, and so now what you have is you have Naomi and Oprah. (laughs) I'm gonna laugh every time. Uh, Naomi and Oprah and Ruth are all widows. And now at the time, this is a huge deal. There are a couple different things that are going on. But in this current culture and in this context, women couldn't work for themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. I mean, it was terrible, but that's just the way that they viewed women, is that women couldn't take care of themselves. And so you've got these three women that don't have men to provide for them anymore. And in this context, that's one of the worst things that could happen to you. And then on top of that, Naomi has had two sons, but Ruth and Orpah have not had sons. They haven't had kids at all. And and it was a huge honor in this time. Basically, the only reason that women were valued, and this is really sad again, but the only reason that women were valued in this Old Testament context was for childbearing. And, And so now you've got this You've got Naomi, who's without a provider for a husband, and you've got Orpah and Ruth, all in the same household, all without providers, and Orpah and Ruth don't have any kids, and they kind of feel like damaged goods, and they kind of feel like their life is wasted, and they kind of feel like they don't have any significance, and it's this terrible situation. So what ends up happening is Naomi says, you know what? I'm gonna go back home. This whole Moab thing, it's only been tragedy for me. This is the worst. I'm just gonna go home. I'm going back to Judah. I mean, I heard that there's food there again. I heard there's water there again. I'm just moving back, you know? It makes sense. And so she goes with her two daughters-in-law that are both widows now. And so you've got three widows going from Moab back to Judah. You guys following me here? And on the way, this exchange takes place. We'll dig into it. Ruth 1, 8 through 13. On the way, uh, it says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes 
And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. You see, notice the security part there. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. This is a really happy story, right? All right, we'll we'll dig back into it here. Um, No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? So weird, isn't it? Um, But hey, it's, it's where they were. No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Again, super weird question. She's like really harping on this. Um, No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. That's like guttural honesty, isn't it? When I read it, I just, you know, I've never been in this situation I've never experienced abandonment like this. I've never experienced this feeling that my entire life is just gone and wasted and used up. But when you read it, you can almost sense this like deep anxiety, this deep angst from Naomi, you know? You can almost feel it as she says it. She says, listen, things are far more bitter for me than they are for you. Listen, you need to just go home and just call it quits and, and live with your family for a little bit. And I'm sure you can find yourself a nice sugar daddy. Just go home. Things really suck for me and you don't wanna be me. She says, the Lord has raised his fist against me. And I think we've all had those times where like if we're being really honest, We kind of feel that way. And that's what I love about the Bible is it's in there. You know, it's not edited out like, oh, well, that's not very like Christianese. That's not very like happy-go-lucky. That doesn't make my heart warm. That's not chicken noodle soup for the soul. But it's true, isn't it? Like we've all been there. We've all felt this like the Lord has raised his fist against me. Man, life is so tough right now. And she just says it. And she's just honest about it, and I love it. But the conversation continues. Ruth 1, 14 uh, through 18. It says again, they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So Oprah decides to go, as you can tell. You know, they, there's a lot of crying, and she goes, you know what, you're right. I need to go home. I need to push the reset button on this whole thing. This is a little too heavy for me. And she decides to go home. Now, the authors don't include it, but little, little known fact, uh, she went home and started a daytime talk show. So, <laughs> Didn't know she's been around that long, huh? Um, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. You notice how insistent Naomi is. She's like, listen, you're crazy. Don't stay with me. This is the worst life possible. I don't know why you want to be a part of this. I don't even know why you want to be around me. Do you see how cursed I am? My husband died. My sons died. And you got wrapped up in all this stuff because God hates me. She's insistent. Listen, Ruth, you need to go home. You need to reset. This is not going well. But this is the turning point. 
And this is the hinge of the story, and this is what I want to focus in on today, is what happens next in this conversation. It says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. This is huge. And I think it's easy to just miss because we're thinking, oh, they just went from this city to that city. No. She left her entire country. She left her family. She left her people. She left her customs. She left her religion for Naomi. Ruth literally says, listen, you keep trying to convince me to go, but I ain't going anywhere. May the Lord punish me severely if I let anything but death separate us. When you die, I want to be buried next to you. Dang. Right? This is, this is crazy. Ruth says, listen, Naomi, you keep trying to convince me to not follow you, but listen, I'm with you. There's nothing that you can do to change that. I am with you. Yes, things are hard. Yes, it's really tough right now. I totally get it, but listen, there's nothing that you can say that's gonna keep me away from you. And it's funny how it ends. It's, it says when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, she said no more. It's almost like Naomi was like, well, you're still an idiot, but I guess you can come with, you know? It's almost like that is happening. But this is, this is absolutely huge. You gotta think about this. Naomi's going home, but she doesn't have a husband. She might not even have a home back in Judah. She doesn't know what she's coming back to. The Bible doesn't say anything about any kind of accommodations that they might have. Ruth is following Naomi completely blindly and she's just saying, yeah, I don't know what this is gonna look like, but whatever you're in for, I'm in for because I am with you. Sometimes the purest expression of love is just, I'm with you. Ruth loved Naomi so much that she said, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the other side holds. Yeah, life's been pretty terrible lately, but I love you too much to leave you alone. Naomi, I'm gonna walk through this with you. Whether we starve to death, I don't care. I'm with you, you know? And, and it, it makes me think. It reminded me of a few situations in my life that I've kind of had those where you go, I'll go times. One of them was with my wife, Alyssa. And uh, I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember when I told her that I love her for the first time, it was like, a, we were like dating for maybe a month. And we were actually out in the church parking lot. We met here and stuff, which is really cool. But we were out in the church parking lot over on that side, facing that fence. And uh, I, I had almost accidentally said I love you the night before like completely unintentional. And so I just thought, you know what, I better say it or it's gonna slip out, so I, I just gotta say it. So I was like, you know, tried to set it up and be all romantic and also try not to creep her out because we'd only been dating for a month, you know? Like, I don't just throw I love yous around, like, you know, she, I, I don't just give it out easy. So 
so I, I wanted to make sure that she understood the significance of this, but at this point I was already bought in, you know? And there was no changing it. I already knew where things were headed. And so I just told her, you know, hey, I don't want to creep you out. And if this is like way too soon, I totally get it. Um, see the romantic part? It was really romantic. I hope this isn't creepy. Um, I'm not very good at the romance stuff, but um, I told her, you know, I hope I don't creep you out, but uh, I love you. And you know what she said? How, how do you know? Which to me at the time, I mean, that, that sounded really like, it was like a deep question, made me think, and it was really great. But at the time, it kind of felt like, you do? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I, I'm burying my soul. Like, this, oh, I can't stop. I, I love you. And she's like, how do you know? I was like, okay, we'll go there. <laughs> but I, I tend to be okay with my words in certain times, sometimes, not always. But, um, I, you know, I, I explained to her, tried my best to explain to her what God was doing in my heart and just the way that I felt about her and, and all of that. And I essentially just kind of said, hey, where you go, I'll go. Like, I love you. I'm bought in. There's no other way around it. So you can say it back to me if you'd like, or you don't have to. If you want to wait, I totally understand. It's, I'm just going to hate you for a little bit also. But um, <laughs> she eventually said it back that day. Um, but then, so a few months later, that was, uh, that was in probably October or November. A few months later in March of that year, or in March of the next year, um, I went out and bought a ring because I knew that God told me that we were going to get married. And um, we, there was like, my, my grandma passed away in Florida and we had a, to go attend a funeral down there. And um, she was like sick as a dog, but I still wanted her to come because like I wanted her to meet all my family before I proposed to this girl that I've been dating for five months at this time. And so uh, she ends up going with me. She's like, we're pulling over so she can throw up. It was really bad. But we got to Florida and she felt all better and she met my family and it was great. And there was this one point where we were sitting on the beach we were looking at the ocean and she had brought this book called The Mystery of Marriage, which makes me think she knew where we were headed to. But um, we were reading this book and there was just this moment where like, the only way I can describe it, I know this sounds exaggerated, exaggerative, but um, the only way I can describe it is that God was just sitting there with us. And like we had this moment where it was like, I don't know how long it lasted. I don't know if it was a half hour, or an hour, hour and a half. I don't know. We weren't keeping track of time. But we started reading this book and then like God was just showing us some cool stuff and then we, put, we shut the book and we started to pray together and sitting there at the ocean, which you guys know has always been so important to me in my life, sitting there at the ocean with my future wife, and then like Jesus was just like right there. Like it was just one of those moments where it was just so tangible and like the air was a little thicker, you know? And uh, we were both crying our eyes out. <laughs> I always talk about crying when I'm like talking. I don't cry a lot. I only cry when it comes to Jesus. And it's really weird. Like there's something about spiritual stuff that just, I, the water, just the faucet turns on, but... Um, we were just like bawling our eyes out and there was just this moment where I just like, I just knew, like I just thought about the ring that was in my sock drawer at home and the next month I proposed to her. And it was one of those like, where you go, I'll go moments, you know, where I just said, listen, I love you too much to let this go any other way. Like, 
I don't know what's ahead of us. I don't know what getting married so young is going to look like. I don't know. We don't even have our careers figured out. We don't have anything figured out. But where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And when you die, that's where I'll be buried. Your God will be my God. You know, it was one of those moments where you say that sort of thing. Um, I remember when, when I felt the call to ministry. And uh, I remember growing up, um, my uncle was a preacher and like all my family, it's like, it's like the family business. <laughs> like they're all in ministry. They're all like missionaries or preachers or something. My grandpa was a preacher and, and you know, it's just one of those things. And so growing up, uh, I did not want to be a preacher at all. And my mom kept telling me, you, you're going to be, you're going to speak and you're going to lead faith communities and you're going to whatever. And, and uh, I just really loved music. And so I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, mostly because I just didn't want to just be another Johnson in ministry. You know what I mean? And, and I remember so clearly there was this time I was like 16-ish that I went to this camp called Lake Ann Camp. It's up in Traverse City. And it was a Christian camp. And uh, there was this chapel service that, that we had where I remember so clearly it was the song, The Stand, you know, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned, that song. It was playing, and, and God was just so real to me in that moment. Like Jesus, it was one of those moments where like, like your heart starts beating faster and the air feels thicker and you're like, oh my Lord, like, I know Jesus is always here, but like, He's here, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was one of those moments, and I remember just, I don't remember how long they were playing that song for. I feel like it was like a day and a half. But like, I just remember God just speaking over me and just telling me how much he loved me over and over again. Just like in ways that I couldn't even comprehend. And it was just this incredible experience, and I didn't know where things were headed and later that night, my camp counselor pulled me aside and said, you know what, I really feel like God's called me to tell you something. He's called you into ministry. And I don't think that's more special than any other job, but it was just that one thing that I didn't want to do. <laughs> and I remember him telling me that, and I remember telling him, yeah, right. <laughs> and then as I continued to pray about it the next morning, I got my journal out and I went down to the lake. And it always seems these moments happen for me around water, but... I was sitting by the lake in the sand and I don't remember exactly what I wrote in my journal, but I was writing a prayer to God and it was something like, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay, you know? If you want me to do this, God, if this is what you're doing, you love me so much, I, I can't do anything else. And, and I think we've all, we've all kind of had these moments here and there, whether it's with a spouse or whether it's with a friend or whether it's with Jesus or whether it's with, you name it. I remember the time that, that God called me to Central Church. I was leading worship at a youth group and a college group somewhere in St. Clair Shores and um, Sam reached out to me and said, hey, I heard you play music. Um, I wanna talk to you about being our worship leader. Immediately I'm thinking, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I... Uh, I get to talk with him and stuff, and he's like, it's a really, really small church. Like, I just took it over. It's really small. Like, it's, it needs a lot of work. I'm just warning you. And I can't, and originally, like, there was, there was no money involved or anything. It was just one of those things where it's like, do you want to do this? And um, originally, I, I think I told him no. 
My original response was no, just because I was too busy and you know it was pretty far away from my house. It just wasn't in the cards for me. And uh, I still kind of had this nagging feeling that God was saying yes, even though I said no. And uh, so Sam goes, you know what? Just come out to a Sunday morning service and just kind of see what you feel, you know, see, see what you're thinking. And so I showed up and there were probably, like if there were 20 people that's being generous, and um, which not that it's all about numbers, but I mean, there just weren't that many people here. And, and the carpet was burnt orange. Some of y'all remember that. And there was like burnt orange pews and the back wall was sparkly white, like, spark, like glittery white. And I walked in and, uh, and Sam's dad and his uncle were doing the worship stuff and it was just like so bad. So bad. And I knew, I knew, like Sam had told me, you know, when you, if you come in here, you're just going to take it over and like, you know, you won't have to work with any of these people that are, you know, doing the music right now. But I just walked in and I just went, whoa, this is not for me. (laughs) There's a lot of work to do here and it ain't mine. And I left like with an adamant no in my mind, but my heart was saying something different. And over the week as I prayed about it, God was just like, you know what I've called you to do. You know what I've called you to do. And so I've been here for, I've been here since uh, the beginning of 2012. So in uh, January, it'll be five years. And um, just going through everything that we've gone through as a church has just been so cool. Um, And like, I've had three full-time ministry jobs offered to me in the last year. And every time it always, like, it's like, oh, it pays great, benefits are great, the opportunity's great. And every time it just, it boils down to like, no, God's, God's called me to Central, at least for now. And it was one of those moments where like, it doesn't make any sense. Like I tell my friends that like, I turn the job down and they're like, are you crazy? Are you an idiot? What do you think you're doing, dude? Like, you know, it's, it's a small church and it's struggling and I know you love it, but like, come on, like there, there are other opportunities out there and, and every time it's just boiled down to like, I fell in love with this faith community. Like I fell in love with the people here and I fell in love with what God's doing here at Central. And you know, that might not always be the case, but for now, it's been this like, God, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And so I've had these moments in my life. I've had these moments with, you know, with my wife. I've had these moments with Jesus. I've had this moment even with my faith community where I say, hey, guys, my family, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And, and here's the crazy thing. Love always compels us to do something. With Ruth and Naomi, you know, Ruth could have gone back home. It would have been no hard feelings. You know, they, they maybe, I don't they would have never kept in touch. <laughs> I was going to say they could text each other. They didn't have texting, so, eh. But, you know, it wouldn't, like, Naomi begged Ruth to stay. Naomi begged Ruth to just go home and just restart. And she said, listen, Ruth, I don't know. I can't promise you that things are even going to get better. I don't know what's coming up, but you need to just go home. And Ruth said, no, I love you too much to do that. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And her love compelled her to make that decision. 
Her love compelled her to leave her hometown, to leave her religion, to leave her family, to leave everything that she knew because she loved Naomi. And it was that simple. And love always compels you to do something. In 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18, John writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sisters in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Isn't that great? Let us show the truth by our actions. John says, listen, if you're looking for an example of love, Jesus' entire life was an example of the greatest love. And you know, the crazy thing is, is Jesus, Jesus changed the world and is changing the world, but he didn't do it by means of power. He didn't do it by displays of might. If, if the most easy way to change the world is through politics, Jesus would have been a politician. If the most easy way to change the world was through rule and might and war, Jesus would have been a warlord. Jesus would have been a king. If that was the easiest way to make change in our world, Jesus would have done that, but he didn't. He showed up as a carpenter, as a rabbi, and he just, he walked and talked and he healed people and he loved them and he had compassion on them and he died on the cross as a show, a display of the love of God for all of eternity. Jesus' life doesn't look like it would be powerful in the way that we understand power. But you talk to anybody and ask them what they think about Jesus and they always have something to say, right? Jesus made waves that, that echo for eternity. He changed the entire course of the universe because God is love. And love always compels you to do something. See, back to the Ruth story. What ends up happening is Ruth does follow Naomi to Judah. There's this cool thing that ends up happening. Basically, she ends up marrying this guy named Boaz, who ends up being a relative of Elimelech, her father-in-law. And uh, Boaz is like filthy rich. He's like super sugar daddy. So she's hooked up. Like her and Naomi are both hooked up. And then she has a kid with Boaz. And three generations after Ruth, King David is born. And if you ask any Jew, even now, you ask any Jew what they think about King David, I mean, he's pretty highly esteemed. He kind of led Israel into their glory days. And Ruth was a part of that only because she just said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. She didn't have a master plan. She didn't have a blueprint for an organization that she was going to start. She didn't have a, a set plan to run for office. She just said, hey, I love you too much to leave you where you are. And I'm gonna go with you no matter what that looks like. I'm with you, Naomi. And what ends up happening happened. 
There's also another cool little storyline that's going on there at the same time. In Genesis 13, this guy named Abraham, you know, he's like, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, you know, that guy. He's the father of the nation of Israel, you know. Um, Abraham has this close relative named Lot. It's funny, because some places in the Bible it says that he's his nephew, and then some places it says he's like his brother or something, but... um, He's a close relative nonetheless. And what ends up happening in Genesis 13 is Abraham gets so much stuff. He's just so wealthy and so blessed. He's got so many like, you know, cattle and lambs and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he was just really rich and had a lot of stuff and a lot, needed a lot of land. And so him and uh, Lot both had a ton of stuff. And, and instead of them being like a new nation, instead of them being like the new kind of nation like God had called them to be, instead of being that nation that blesses other nations instead of just blessing themselves, and instead of being the nation that's for other nations instead of being against other nations, instead of being a nation that shares the excess that they have so that everybody has enough, they make a decision in Genesis 13 that Abraham says, you know what, Lot, you pick which way you want to go. You go start your own nation and I'm going to go start mine because we got too much stuff and I don't want to get rid of it. (laughs) It's like Hoarders, like original episode, right? But Abraham and Lot separate. And from the beginning, God said, listen, I want you guys to be a new nation, like with a new purpose, with a new goal. And Abraham and Lot split and immediately things go off the rails. Like greed gets in the way and things go off the rails early, 13 chapters into Genesis. But what ends up happening is Lot's people eventually become the Moabites. And Abraham's people eventually become Judah. And what we have with Ruth, a Moabite woman through and through, coming back to Judah and marrying a prominent Israeli man, we almost have like God's bringing that whole storyline back together. You see it? And it's easy to miss. I mean, you have to dig a lot to find this. But even when things go off the rails, like, God still uses it for good and he still brings it back together. But how did he do that? He didn't come to Ruth in a dream and say, Ruth, you're gonna marry Boaz and fix this whole thing that everybody screwed up. No, Ruth just loved Naomi. Like in a real way, not just with words, but that she showed the truth with her actions. And she loved Naomi and she said, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And God saw that love and he said, I can use that. God saw her love for Naomi and he said, hey, love, that's the thing that changes the world. That's the thing, like God is love. Jesus Christ is love. God saw this love and he said, hey, I can use that. And not only did he redeem Ruth's life and Ruth's story, not only did he redeem Naomi's story, but he redeemed the story of the entire nation of Israel. Through this one simple sentence and this this one act of devotion between Ruth and Naomi, love never sits on the sidelines. Love never just watches things happen. Love always does something. And so when Ruth had this love for Naomi, she just said, listen, nothing else makes sense. I'm with you. And I don't know what that looks like, but I am. 
And God said, hey, I can use that. You see, listen, when we're talking about seeing God do extraordinary things, we've been talking about seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary and seeing God take our ordinary lives and do extraordinary things through them. The first step is just this radical love. The tangible, applicable aspect of this is just this tangible real action type love. This like verb love, not noun love, like verb love. DC talk, love is a verb, right? Very few of you got that, it's sad. Um, but that's what God uses to change the world, is love. Not anything else. And so for you, my question for you today is who is God calling you to love better? What does that look like? What is that gonna take from you? Because it always takes something. And, and you know, maybe it starts with Jesus. Maybe it starts with that moment. You've never had that moment. Like we talked about Jesus a lot. Maybe you've even read about Jesus or heard about Jesus or you've watched the, the sermon series that are on Netflix and you think, oh yeah, I, yeah, I get the whole Jesus thing. I, I, I know some stuff about him. But you've never had that moment where you and Jesus got real and you said, Jesus, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. God, whatever you have for me, I love Jesus too much to just leave this alone. I have to do something about it. And if that's where you are, I'm so excited for you because that's what God uses to do extraordinary things in the world. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you're already trying to work that out and maybe God's calling you to love somebody like that. Maybe not romantic, but maybe God's calling you to come alongside somebody and say, I'm with you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Listen, because God loves me and because Jesus has showed me love in such an incredible way, the only thing that I can do is respond with this incredible love towards all of humanity. And it starts with you. And I'm gonna love you. And I'm with you. And where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And that is the end of the story. There's nothing you can do to change it. Maybe God's calling you to change somebody's life with, with just that radical, where you go, I'll go kind of love. Or maybe, maybe today God is calling you to show this where you go, I'll go love to your faith community. Maybe you've been coming to Central for a little while now. Maybe you're brand new. And maybe what's happening here and what God is doing through this faith community has absolutely changed your life. And maybe you have fallen in love with what God is doing here. And what I have to tell you is love always requires action. And so I encourage you to ask yourself, what is that next step? Maybe it's joining a house church. If you have questions about that, hit one of us up fill out a connection card, let us know. We would love to get you involved. Maybe it's volunteering at our VBS. 
Monday through Thursday this week, guys. But, but maybe, maybe it is something like that, where you say, listen, I believe in what God's doing in this community. I believe in what God is doing at 1529 East 12 Mile, Madison Heights, Michigan, and I want to be a part of it. I don't just want to say, oh yeah, I love my church. I'll see you guys next Sunday. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it takes this like, hey, where you go, I'll go type of love. Maybe it takes this like, hey, I love this thing too much to not be a part of it because true love requires action. You guys following me? So I wanna just encourage you guys as we wrap up and as we leave today that that's kind of what I wanna leave you with. I wanna leave you with these questions. Is Maybe it starts with Jesus. Maybe it starts with someone in your life and maybe it starts right here at Central. But whichever stage you're at, I encourage you to pray about what that next step looks like. Because if you truly love something or someone or God himself, it always takes that first step and it always takes an action. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for speaking today. I thank you for your word and I thank you for what you're doing here at Central Church. Jesus, we love you. And that's why we're here on a Sunday morning out of all of the different things that we could be doing. And God, we just pray that this morning as, as these words kind of settle here, Lord, I pray that we would take them with us. I pray that when we walk out of this sanctuary or this auditorium, Lord, that it, we wouldn't leave these words, but Lord, that they would just resonate deep in our spirits and that you would use them to change us. Jesus, we just wanna look more like you. And Jesus, we just want to love more like you. And so we pray that you would continue your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said.